Paddy Mayer on LBC. With Motorway, where dealers compete to give you the best price for your car. It's Friday, it's a quarter to five, it's Simon Marks' American Week. Eddie, for President Biden, this has been a big week. Three summits yesterday alone in Brussels. Today, a visit to Poland to meet American troops and fleeing Ukrainian refugees. A billion dollars in new expenditure announced for humanitarian relief. A commitment that the United States will accept up to 100,000 people fleeing the conflict. More sanctions against the Russians, more weapons for President Volodymyr Zelensky's forces, and more resolve by the international community to stop Putin's slaughter of civilians. Putin was banking on NATO being split. My early conversation with him in December and early January was clear to me he didn't think we could sustain this cohesion. NATO has never, never been more united than it is today. Putin is getting exactly the opposite what he intended to have as a consequence of going into Ukraine. And said the president, there's more of it to come. Russia, he argued, should be stripped of membership in the G20, a position he announced after China said that despite the invasion, President Putin should still be allowed to attend a G20 summit in Indonesia later this year. The US now says if the Russian leader is permitted to travel there, President Zelensky should be sitting around the table as well. But October in Bali is a very long way away from March in Brussels. Sir, deterrence didn't work. What makes you think Vladimir Putin will alter course based on the action you've taken today? The president did not like that question yesterday from Christina Ruffini of CBS. Let's get something straight. You remember if you covered me from the very beginning, I did not say that in fact the sanctions would deter him. Sanctions never deter. You keep talking about that. Sanctions never deter. The maintenance of sanctions, the maintenance of sanctions, the increasing the pain and the demonstration why I asked for this NATO meeting today is to be sure that after a month we will sustain what we're doing, not just next month, the following month, but for the remainder of this entire year. That's what will stop him. But that answer is not entirely true. Time and again in December and January, the White House issued statements insisting sanctions were designed to deter Russia from invading Ukraine. It is a rewriting of history to suggest that the Biden administration ever saw things any differently. But this was a week when the president was catching up with himself and seeking to get in front of the Ukrainian curve rather than chase it. Last week, you'll recall, the president and the secretary of state said Vladimir Putin was a war criminal, but indicated they were speaking in their personal capacity. An official U.S. investigation said the State Department had only just begun. Well, they must have worked very quickly. Earlier today, Secretary Blinken issued a statement announcing that based on information that is currently available, the U.S. government assesses that Russia's forces are committing war crimes in Ukraine. Beth Van Skake, who was only confirmed in her post as America's ambassador at large for global criminal justice one week ago. At the State Department on Wednesday, she confirmed the U.S. will continue to document Russian war crimes and pass information on to any authorities that end up prosecuting them. I think it's incredibly important to shed a light on what's happening within Ukraine so that the people of Ukraine understand that the world knows what they are suffering and that they're doing their suffering at the hands of 
um, an aggressive war that was launched unprovoked by Russia. We don't want to lose that evidence. We don't want that evidence to be tampered with. So it's extremely important that it be collected now and preserved with an eye towards future accountability. Now, to put all this into perspective, we can, of course, all agree, based on the searing images we've seen from Ukraine, that the Russians have almost certainly committed war crimes. The Ukrainians said today at least 300 people, mostly women and children, died in the Russian attack earlier this month on a theatre in the Black Sea port of Mariupol, even though the word children was painted in enormous letters on the street right outside it to serve as a warning for Russian pilots. That's just one outrage of scores playing out in real time every day on social media. But the same was absolutely true five years ago in Myanmar, the country formerly known as Burma. Since seizing power, the military has killed more than 1,670 men, women and children and unjustly detained at least 12,800 more in abysmal conditions. On Monday, Secretary of State Antony Blinken went to the Holocaust Memorial Museum to declare that after an investigation that has taken more than four years, the US had made up its mind about the repression of the Rohingya Muslim minority in Myanmar. Beyond the Holocaust, the United States has concluded that genocide was committed seven times. Today, March the 8th, as I have determined that members of the Burmese military committed genocide and crimes against humanity against Rohingya. The attack against Rohingya was widespread and systematic, which is crucial for reaching a determination of crimes against humanity. Now, just a reminder, the U.S. still hasn't got round to accusing Russia of committing war crimes in Syria, despite voluminous evidence to back that conclusion up, nor that the evisceration of the Chechen capital Grozny by Vladimir Putin as early as 1999 might have constituted a war crime. He could have been stopped then. Still, it's good to know the State Department has got its skates on now. So you've warned about the real threat of chemical weapons being used. Would the U.S or NATO respond with military action if he did use chemical weapons. Not everything became entirely clear this week as that question from AP reporter Chris Majerian revealed yesterday. We would respond. We would respond if he uses it. The nature of the response would depend on the nature of the use. What on earth did that mean? Cecilia Vega of ABC tried to find out. To clarify on chemical weapons, could if chemical weapons were used in Ukraine, would that trigger a military response from NATO? It would, re it would trigger a response in kind, whether or not you're asking whether NATO would cross... We'd make that decision at the time. We still don't know what he meant there by a response in kind. Let's hope we never have to find out. Given that you can't believe a word the Kremlin says, it's hard to know how to react to this afternoon's news from Moscow. The Russian Defence Ministry described the first phase of the military operation in Ukraine as mostly complete and said it would focus now on liberating Donetsk and Luhansk, those eastern regions of Ukraine that Vladimir Putin recognises as in independent. Climb down city? It's hard to know. The Russian leader today was insisting the West is trying to cancel his country. So-called cancel culture flourishes in the West, ostracizing, boycotting, silencing facts, writers and works that don't fit into their templates. They've canceled Tchaikovsky, Shostakovich, Rachmaninoff and leading Russian works of literature. It's the same kind of policy that the Nazis carried out. They even canceled the children's rights 
writer J.K. Rowling recently because she did not please fans of gender freedoms. He's got a real thing about gender freedoms. I checked, by the way, and they are still playing Tchaikovsky and Rachmaninoff over on our sister station Classic FM, although John Suchet is more of a Beethoven man. But don't touch that dial because it's time for us to step right up and journey to Capitol Hill. It won't be a circus. We're off to a good start. Republican Senator Lindsey Graham promising on Monday that the Judiciary Committee's confirmation hearing for Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson to join the U.S. Supreme Court would be a sober, responsible affair. But he and fellow Republican committee members might as well have then gone and changed into flowing red coats and black top hats because after Judge Jackson introduced herself to the committee, describing the or she feels about the prospect of making history and becoming America's first black woman to serve on the Supreme Court. Your careful attention to my nomination demonstrates your dedication to the crucial role that the Senate plays in this constitutional process, and I thank you. Even prior to today, I can honestly say that my life has been blessed beyond measure. After all that talk about their careful attention to detail and the sanctity of the deliberative process that was about to begin, you didn't even need some elephants and a trapeze artist to accompany the circus that Lindsey Graham was happy to lead. You have a wonderful family. You should be proud and your faith matters to you. What faith are you, by the way? Senator, I am um, Protestant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Non-denominational. Okay. Could you fairly judge a Catholic? Senator, I have a record of I think the answer would be yes. judging everyone. I believe you can. I'm just <laughs> yeah. asking this question because how important is your faith to you? Senator, personally, um, my faith is very important. Um, but as you know, there's... No religious test in the Constitution under under Article 6 and... There will be none with me. Heaven forbid. What Lindsey Graham and other Republicans on the committee did this week was attempt to punish the entirely innocent nominee for the way they claim Democrats mistreated Brett Kavanaugh when Donald Trump nominated him for a Supreme Court position. Justice Kavanaugh, you'll remember, was questioned about historic sexual assault claims leveled against him. And the Republicans are still prof- Professing to be furious about it. Some people on the other side had an accusation against Judge Kavanaugh that during high school uh, he sexually assaulted somebody. How would you feel if we did that to you? I would never do that to you. If I had some information that's sketchy at best that somehow you've done something wrong, I promise you just from human decency, I would share it with you. Senator, she's had nothing to do with the cause. No, but I'm asking her about how how she may feel about what y'all did. For three days, this nonsense went on. It was ugly. It had racist overtones. It saw inferences that the judge believed babies are born racists. She doesn't. And had been soft on purveyors of child porn. She wasn't. One Republican told her that while he may not be an attorney himself, he'd watched lots of law and order on television. All of them wanted to know where she stood on a variety of issues that now dominate Republican circles, including, of course, American elections. Another exchange with Senator Graham. Uh, Do you believe illegal immigrants should be allowed to vote, Judge Jackson? Under our laws, you have to be a citizen of the United States in order to vote. 
So the answer would be no. It's not consistent with our laws, so the answer is no. Okay, why do they do that in New York? Senator, I'm not aware of the circumstances. Okay, all right, well, that's a good answer. The answer is no. Not, it seems, the answer he was looking for. By the time the hearings wound up, Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey, a Democrat, had, like the rest of us, seen enough. You got here how every black woman in America who's gotten anywhere has done. By being... (laughs) Like Ginger Rogers said, I did everything Fred Astaire did, but backwards in heels. And and so I, I'm just sitting here saying nobody's stealing my joy. Nobody's going to make me angry, especially not people that are called in a conservative magazine demagogic for what they're bringing up. You have earned this spot. You are worthy You are a great American. Judge Jackson wiped tears from her eyes during that oration, perhaps because after three days of abject lunacy at the hands of the Republicans, she realizes now that America's democracy might not be worthy of the respect and adoration that she professes for it. We must move on because there are two other women we need to mention this American week, and one of them announced last night that she's ready to make a comeback. There is a time and a season for everything, and if this season is one where I need a more official platform to have, then yeah, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. Sarah Palin, the woman the late John McCain described as his greatest mistake after he made her his running mate in the 2012 presidential election, indicating on Fox News last night that she's a vacant congressional seat in Alaska. We need people who have cojones. We need people like Donald Trump, who has nothing to lose, like me. We got nothing to lose. And no more of this vanilla, milk toast, namby pamby, wussy pussy stuff that's been going on. That's why our country is in the mess that we're in. God help us and the people who will have to fit no more vanilla, milk toast, namby-pamby, wussy-pussy stuff onto her campaign car stickers. America lost a real trailblazer this week. Madeleine Albright, the first woman to be appointed Secretary of State, died after a tussle with cancer at the age of 84. It is a fair bet that she didn't have Sarah Palin in mind when in 2010 she told a TEDx audience that the world would be in safer hands if more women got involved in diplomacy and politics. I do think when there are more women that the the tone of the conversation changes and also the goals of the conversation change. But it doesn't mean that the whole world would be a lot better if it were totally run by women. We, you know, if you think that, you've forgotten high school. So, the, the, uh, uh, but uh, the bottom line is that I think that there is a way when there are more women uh, at the table that there's a, an attempt to develop some understanding. I think we're better about putting ourselves into the other guy's shoes and having more empathy. As Secretary of State, she championed NATO expansion and was always wary of Vladimir Putin after first meeting him when he succeeded Boris Yeltsin in the Kremlin and immediately told her of his plans to restore Russian greatness. In her final opinion piece, published by the New York Times just before the Russian invasion began, she recalled that she found Putin to be so cold as to be almost reptilian. Eddie, did she have the Russian leader's number? Simon Marx's American Week, every Friday on LBC at a quarter to five.
This is LBC. I'm Eddie Mayer.